Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Well, we're thrilled to have LSJ Sports Columnist Graham Couch on the show. Graham has been covering Michigan State Athletics for about a decade. He can be found on the LSJ Sports Podcast, Spartan Speak. Also, he stars on his own podcast, Couch in the Rube, where he plays the role of Couch. And unfortunately, one programming note, Rod is unable to join us for today's episode. Welcome to the Final Four. is on, not on the schedule, Graham. I appreciate you having me. And that is a, It's the best role I have, playing myself. That's all I got. So That's that's actually the easiest role to play. I, that's why I'm so impressed with the actors who can pull off anything else. Yes, uh, I w- it would be very cool to actually be a method actor and be able to play something else. And, uh, and do it with and do voices. If anybody who listens to my podcast know, knows my impersonations and my voices are some of my worst attributes. So. <laughs> I think you notice actually pretty good, even though it's kind of a bit on your show that it's not, not good. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I think you just like to get right into it. And the biggest question heading into the uh, the season is really where the team is on the five spot, right? I think that's it, there seems to be a lot of consternation, a lot of concern within the fan base. I don't know if you get that sense as well. And that Bizzo should have gotten a five. We have, you know, Maddie Sissoko, who I think average if he played 40 minutes, would get about eight fouls a game. And then you have Jackson Kohler, who looks intriguing on film, but he's a guy who certainly is unproven in, uh, in, in Big Ten play and, you know, on Division One play. So where do you think things stand for that? I mean, do you think Izzo's going to get someone else? Or how do you feel with the five spot? And if that is really the problem with the fans right now? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think they're going to stand pat. I would be surprised at this point, um, mostly because a, c- a couple things. One, I'm not sure Tom Izzo believes he can get somebody who notably upgrades them uh, without alienating either the guys he has and more importantly, guys he may be recruiting in 2023. I think one of the important things is in terms of roster management is can you, you know, with the transfer portal you, and, and the way everything, it, everything is fluid all the time. And if you've got a guy you're targeting the next year and you bring in a transfer, that's then going to change what the roster looks like that that player is coming into, you know, you can risk that you can risk somebody leaving. Um, now I, I, if it were me, I would have gotten somebody else. I would have added, I would have gone out there and tried to find a graduate transfer a one-year player, maybe a two-year player, but probably a one-year player. Because I don't think Mati Sissoko is necessarily – I know he wants that chance to be the guy or to have a major role. I don't necessarily he's, think he's just earned it, though, without beating out competition. And Jackson Kohler is a, a big man who I am as intrigued by as any big man they've had since I've been covering them and maybe since I've uh, known Michigan State basketball, and that's most of my life. But – he's still a freshman and can he defend at the big 10 level? And, and those are some real questions. I mean, offensively, I think eventually he could be a lot of fun to watch and, and maybe so right away. So I would have gone out and because you think about the transfer, they brought in a guy like Ben Carter years ago and Ben Carter got hurt. And so did Gavin Schilling that year. And they were stuck going with the freshman Nick Ward and Kenny Goins is a undersized out of position player. But even a Ben Carter type was a seasoned veteran player who they brought in to fill a role. And and that sort of player I think might have been out there, and I'm a little surprised they didn't. I think if I were in their shoes, I would have. However, that doesn't mean I don't like the roster. I do like a lot about the roster. I just don't trust what's there at center. Um, and I, I think their backcourt could be phenomenal. I think um, just in terms of skill and sweat equity, what they have with Hauser and Malik Hall wanting to play together could be interesting. We'll see how much they do that. Um, the, just the different backcourt combinations. I think it could be a, a very good team. Um, the question is, though, to get anywhere real, you eventually have to be able to 
hold your own in the post and and stop good bigs, even though it's a, a backcourt driven uh, NCAA tournament. And and I will we'll find out if they have that. Yeah, I think that's the the biggest question. And one of the things we've we've discussed. The Carson Cooper is an interesting sort of addition to the team, you know, off everyone's radar, even I think Carson Cooper's in some respects until sort of the offer came. And I think, I know initially it was, it was touted as this is a red shirt. He's not going to be playing, but I think, you know, marginal's departure and it makes you wonder if that he may have more of an outsized role than they anticipated. I, that I know they thought they were going to bring Hauser in, maybe play the five at times, but maybe Carson Cooper gets five, 10 minutes, and maybe he's more skilled and more ready to for play than we anticipate. Again, it's another freshman, but I wonder if that's yeah. part of the, part of the solution. Maybe that is, or at least maybe insurance that Izzo's looking at at the five. I think there's a little insurance there. I think to Izzo, what Carson Cooper is, is ultimately a little bit of a workaround to the system that he's not really sure how best to navigate right now. So you know, one of the ways to go, and this is harder with guards, guards have to be more ready when they show up, but big men are different, right? They're different types of projects and development. And one of the things you can do is you can, you get a guy who's ready to go and you, you know, he wants to play or he's going to be unhappy and he may leave, or you can get a guy that you think has potential, a late bloomer. And, it, you know, if you bring him in um, and he's better than you think, fine, he can play right away, but they've been up front with him. The idea that he's going to redshirt or probably redshirt. And he's okay with that. He's okay with developing into something. And that's a way of sort of being ready when somebody leaves or something doesn't happen. You know, somebody, you know, you don't expect something to happen to your roster in future years. You have this guy that you've worked on and you de- you've developed. Um, and his expectations for playing time are more realistic and are, are different than maybe some other, some other freshmen. So I think that's one of the ideas. I've also seen it. I covered Western Michigan for years, as most people know who know me. And, and Drink. <laughs> but there, yeah, but there was a there was a kid there I covered by the name of Matt Stainbrook, who actually finished his career at, at Xavier, and a lot of people knew him there. And because he, he did, a, there was a big story on him. He was like Uber driving in his spare time, <laughs> so he's like this six foot, you know, eleven Uber driver, big three hundred pound guy. It was a basketball player at Xavier, but when he was at Western Michigan, he showed up overweight when they recruited him overweight 330 pounds had one scholarship offer but very skilled and he got in a good enough shape that when he showed up he's hitting 12 foot lefty hooks on the first day of practice it's like you're not redshirting that kid then he had like 16 points and nine rebounds against illinois and the illinois beat writers are like what do you have one scholarship you know so those that happens with late bloomers that happens with guys who and and so you, you're you're always hoping that now we've also seen bigs where it just doesn't happen or guys you bring in that never contribute and so, uh, you know, it can go a lot of different ways. Yeah, I I wonder too with with the with the two hundred. I mean, I guess the point is, is there are only two hundred minutes in the court, right? That you that you have to dole out. And so, you're in today's day and age, it seems like with NIL and the transfer, you're just not able to maintain as deep of roster as you have in the past. I mean, do you think that's true? I mean, you heard you heard um, uh, Kentucky's coach. Can't think of his name right now. But you heard him mention, yeah, 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 you heard yeah. him mention that and. I wonder if a little of, of what's going on now and not going after another five is a reflection of the fact that you just, as soon as you add someone, you lose someone. And I, I think we saw that in Michigan, right? They added a point guard and they lost their Freddie Collins. They're probably arguably better point guard. It is going to be hard. I think to keep 13 kids on the roster. Um, and if, especially if you're trying to have them not leave, like, what do you want to pander to? Do you want to have 13 and have them fight it out? And some will stay, some will go. Do you want to try to keep 10 happier? It's a good question, and I don't think coaches have figured it out. I don't think Izzo really knows what's best because some of this goes against sort of his natural inclination over the years. And uh, I, I like it from this standpoint. I, I do like – I think Izzo needs help not playing too many guys and not having too many guys on the team helps you not play too many guys. <laughs> um, and, and one of the pro- – I mean, some of the problem is he's, he's often recruited pretty decent depth it's hard to separate itself from the guys who are starting. So he feels obligated then to play them. And um, so I, but I I do think it'll be more of a trend, more places. You want the roster flexibility at the end of every year with transfers. Now having nine or 10 only, I think that's pretty low uh, because you are a couple injuries away from really having some issues. Uh, But I, I, yeah, I do think they'll leave them open. I think the way part of this will get solved is sort of player led discussions that are, uh, are are driven by high school kids and high school athletic um, agencies and 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 uh, 
administrations that look at the number of scholarships that aren't being used. Like there are, and, and I've heard it from coaches and kids already. It is harder to get recruited now because there's a trickle down. Fewer scholarships are being used. That goes, and um, so there, there's going to be a lot of you know different things with that that'll that'll have to work itself out. If I were a coach right now, I would definitely keep roster flexibility, um, and I would keep a couple spots that I thought I could, you know, be able to maneuver year over year after year. Yeah, I certainly think you'll you'll see more players. Uh, it's coming out of the high school level. They're going to commit earlier and sooner. And I think we've seen that a little bit with Michigan State too. I feel like we've seen some people even two years out who are already committing to be a Spartan. And I think that's partly a reflection to what you said, that there's probably just less D1 spots because they're getting sucked up by kids moving up from other ranks more easily. Yeah, I mean, the, the Fears kid is a, is a recent example of that, Jeremy Fears uh, Jr. And, and yeah, you know, it, it's a good question. I haven't talked to him about the reason. I mean, he was a heralded enough kid that he was going to have offers. But there certainly is a trickle-down effect to that. Um, and you'll see it at the mid-major level. You'll see it at the D2 level. And in some ways, those programs may be able to start with a higher caliber player. Um, the trickle-down of that is if those kids develop, they're going to lose them in the transfer portal anyway. So they're they're in a tough spot. And, you know, what I'm waiting to see and sort of the thing I would like to see to save mid-major basketball. Some of these mid-major programs have money, more money than high-major programs. And if I'm a big-time donor at Southern Illinois or Loyola, Chicago, you know, and I've got some sort of business or you can create something for players there, you might be able to do something on an NIL level that half the Big Ten can't compete with, and you've created a situation there where you're able to hang on to your guys. Sure. I don't know what your sense is of the fan base. You maybe have a better feel with your your, your show, but – I get a real sense of pessimism within the Michigan State basketball fan base that there's uh, that the wheels are coming off or there's, you know, there are some real problems. Do you think that's a reflection somewhat of just the recent success for Mel Tucker? I mean, it's almost like instant, just, you know, add, uh, add water and suddenly you've got a, you know, a, a, a team that's competing for a Big Ten championship in football. And I feel like, you know, the last year has been a little bit struggles for Michigan State basketball. Do you, do you think it's a, a reflection of that or? Because I think, you, like you, I think we both sort of feel like this roster is not too bad. Yeah, I think it's a, it's the contrast of the build. First, first of all, what, what, and I probably need to write about this at some point because one of the things that that, that we are seeing is, you know, there, nothing is ever more exciting than the initial build of something, right? The the ninety seven ninety eight Michigan State basketball season, you you know, in ninety eight ninety nine the championship that run that three years you just can't top that. You'll never get that feeling back. The, the Rose Bowl season of Michigan State football and the optimism right after that. Now, they went down for a while, so now you get that again. But you're in that initial – there's just so much fun for people. And and so it, it's hard to, to to counter that if you're the other program. Mel Tucker is this sort of – looks like this innovative, glitzy recruiter, uh, you know, brings a lot of – you know, he just brings some charisma to the, to the program and um, – it's, it's obviously on the upswing and you counter that with, with Izzo who's stubborn and looks like the same guy he's been for a long time and is absolutely stubborn and can be a frustrating guy in certain ways. It's his way or the highway, but his way has worked for an awful long time. And, you know, again, I think if he were to start now, he'd have to do some things differently, but his brand is pretty big, still effective recruiting guys. And I think it's softened a little bit. I've noticed in the last, I mean, there are some people who are very just think Izzo's done, but there are there are some people I've seen sort of so often as they've seen how they've been in on these 2023 kids. They sort of re-examine the roster. I think the Moneyball Pro Am, which is back this year in the summer, will help because people will get a look at the the freshmen at Jackson Kohler especially, and and have some hope for for him. Um, and and I also think that people forget what teams are year over year as they develop. You are not what you were the previous year. You're, I mean, you're, you're counting, on, counting on Jaden Akins taking a, a, a sizable step. You're counting on uh, A.J. Hogard becoming a consistent force. You're counting on a lot of things that need to happen, but that's that's what development is. So but there's no question. I think it's, it's the contrast with what's happening in football largely. And, you know, if 2020 had to happen differently where you don't have the pandemic, and I mean, just I mean, if you picture that, even as a Final Four run, that team may have won a national title. Because certainly, I talked earlier about having a team. You had to, you're having a guy who could 
could defend great bigs and shut them down and give you a chance. The way Xavier Tillman was playing at the end of that year, he gave you a shot in any single game. Um, but even if that had been a Final Four year, just a couple years removed, I think people would feel different. Two straight Final Fours, just two years off that. And so that, that cancellation really ca- somehow counts against Izzo. And then his personality hurts him and his stubbornness hurts him and it's who he is. And, um, it, it, and then the Mel Tucker being this sort of antithesis in terms of how he's perceived. Now, if you talk to Izzo, Izzo will tell you Mel Tucker doesn't love the transfer portal either. He just deals with it. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know that it's a, you know, but, um, and football is a different beast certainly with that. Yeah. Well, our last episode actually ironically was what if the 2020 season happened in the, the NCAA tournament? Because, you know, we looked at Joe Lenardi's picks and to your point, Tillman was a force and he was, I think it's easy to forget how dominant he was at the end of the season defensively. He just changed games and, and it, and then COVID happened and not only did the tournament cancel, but I think, you know, lives just sort of stopped and we forget everything that happened. And I think that, I think you lose that memory of what a great season that was ending at least. Well, and I think it, I think it impacted the next season too, in terms of there were some key things that had to happen when you're losing it is sort of cornerstones of your program, like Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman, and you need a new point guard. And, and, and look, some of that was in recruiting in the 2018 class. The, the foster lawyer was a miss, but the, you know you needed a summer with Rocket Watts, a normal summer for Rocket Watts, where they weren't separated, where he was playing in open gyms with them, where he was running the point, where he was where that was becoming a dynamic. That might have been a whole different season for him, and and he was a a, a certain type of athlete where that might have worked and. So, you know, I, I, yeah, the, the pandemic, it, it changed a lot. But Michigan State was was hurt both in what might have been and then what became right after it, probably as much as any team in the country. Yeah, sure. There have been a lot of changes in the, the coaching staff the last – I mean, most most off-seasons aren't very interesting when it comes to coaching staff. And the last two years, we'll say – we'll add last year where Dane Fife left the exit of the program. He had been with the staff over 10 years. Now you've lost Garland for true retirement. Steven's going to Western Michigan. Uh, they both had over 20 years with his O. I mean, he's lost like 50 years of experience with his coaching staff. The people he's brought in ha- are all Michigan State people he's worked with before, Mark Montgomery and um, uh, Thomas Kelly um, and uh, DeWojic. Do you, what do you think that influences on that, the, the roster change, at least with the coaching staff? Do you think it's going to be significantly different, or do you think things are pretty much the same? No, I mean, Dwayne Stevens was, was um, somebody who could give it back to Izzo. He was somebody who... Um, defensively was as strong he handled the big man coach and so I do think there will be some you know some different dynamics losing uh, Mike Garland um, who was no longer like directly an assistant coach in the same way but he was still pretty much an assistant coach that's a voice that these guys have relied on for a long time um, and I think that's partly why he ultimately brought in Thomas Kelly um, because I mean I think he thinks Kelly can be be a good coach for him but i also think familiarity uh, uh with the, with the program with players a guy he knew he thought he could put in partly garland's role to, to one degree a guy who spends a lot of time with his players and and he trusts and so and and you need somebody who can kind of take it from Izzo a little bit and then also you know you hope can give it back and i don't know if thomas kelly's in that that place yet but it, it, it will be different i mean he's got guys who've been around a long time Mark Montgomery, I think, is a pretty good coach. And uh, Izzo has talked about being a better coach than when he left for Northern Illinois and that whole experience. You, I mean, you don't, if you spend eight years as a head coach in the Mid American Conference, you are a seasoned, weathered, beaten dog. I mean, it is a, that is a brutal, because you're, you're to, to get fired after eight years means you survived eight years without moving up, means you barely survived. Because in that league, it's either you move up or you get fired and you're always trying to survive. There aren't enough resources. You're on the other end of the transfer portal all the time. And, um, and I, I think he's, you know, Doug Wojcik's a seasoned guy, obviously. And so uh, I, I think it's a, 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 a decent staff, a good staff. The, the question is really, could have you done something that really invigorated and changed some dynamics for the better? And obviously you're not going to hire you know, John Beeline directly, but could you go get somebody who had been a, a sitting head coach who brought in some real, you know, new ingenuity to your offense 
Um, or, you know, and maybe there's, there's a, you know, the role that's open that Garland has could be a recruiting coordinator role, could be somebody in that role that could bring some ideas, certainly. I just don't think Izzo wants to change who they are, you know, and uh, that's going to be frustrating offensively. And when he's got the right guard, it works. When he doesn't, it doesn't. And, um, but I think people are just going to have to live with that. And, and, and a lot of times he's had it. He's had the right personality and the right player. And, and so he's, he's in, and they've been able to develop that player and cultivate it and, and let them shine. And, and when, the, when the right guard is there, he gives them a lot of free reign. And you saw that with Cassius Winston, junior, senior versus Cassius Winston, freshman, sophomore. And so, you know, it, and, and, and they understand when to sort of let that player loose. When it comes to the fan base, another one thing that people seem to be really worried about, and uh, I think partly because NIL, partly just because I think people have this perception the landscape has changed, and it has, but I think maybe more than they think, I don't know, is recruiting. And that I see it coming all the time that he's missed, his recruiting has fallen off, uh, that they're not getting the players he used to get. Is that really true? I mean, I feel like the recruiting was never, it's not like Michigan State was getting five-star recruits all the time. The, Outside of Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges, that that year they had some a really pretty great class. But outside of that, it's not like he was bringing in all these recruits all the time. I don't know. I mean, what is your perception? I, like recruiting just falling off the cliff? I I don't I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. I, I see a couple things. One, he built his program around Michigan. That's where the brand is. When he walks into and it really a four hour radius, but Michigan and so some in Indiana, Ohio, but really in Michigan. A kid who grows up in Michigan, Izzo, there's a brand to Izzo that is as big as Duke, that is as big as Kentucky. And so when Michigan is good as a high school basketball state, which is not again now, but it was up for a few years, then Michigan State's always going to be fine with, with Izzo. When it's down, you know, he, he's got to go elsewhere. And then, you know, the, the things are up and down a little bit. But, you know, so I'll give you an example of that there was, you know, that period of time when they were really good in the early, you know, coming off the 2008-9 group, the, the Draymond Green year, and then the two years after that, the 2013-14 team, the team that should have won a title. That, the, the, the sense that year, I just remember there was all this angst, and it wasn't just about, it, that team needed to win a title because nothing was coming up behind it. And they were, the recruiting had fallen off, and that was it. The recruiting really hadn't fallen off. Michigan had dried up. Michigan was as bad as I'd ever seen it as a state for a couple of years. And, you, and so Izzo then tried to go into Chicago. And the problem with that was Chicago is not a city. He hadn't been there since Shannon Brown in 2003. It's not a place you can just go in and out of. And the city sort of let him know it. And it, it's a cesspool. It's a place that there's a fair <laughs> bit of, uh, you know. Bagman. The table cheating too. Yeah, fair bit of that stuff. And so – it, it didn't work. And, um, but that's where the players were at that moment. And then all of a sudden everybody thinks he can recruit again. Well, Miles Bridges is a Flint kid. Cassius Winston's a Detroit kid. Nick Ward's from Ohio, from Columbus in that far. He's crew, you know, and, 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 um, and, and certainly, um, who am I blanking on that class? The, um, I don't know Adrian Payne, but that was a little early. No, no, I'm talking about Nick Ward, uh, Jaron Jackson. No, sorry, Nick Ward. Um, Josh um, Langford. Josh Langford. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can fix that in post, so to speak. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> um, the he was a Big Ten fanatic from Alabama. Like that doesn't exist very often. So you, you know, that sort of comes together, and you know, Jaron Jackson, you know, fairly local in everything in that four hour radius. So when those guys are there, Jimmy fears fairly local. Now that Chicago land is softened to him, you know, Max Christie, they got fears is that, you know, they're in on fears his brother. So that's, that's been a good sign for them. Um, and to me, it's really been largely when the state of Michigan and the area is, is really fertile. He's fine when it's not, you know, that brand, is strong nationally, but it's not as strong nationally as it is locally and regionally. And so that's, you know, and then the other things you have to, you have to give them some credit for developing and, and trusting they can keep doing it. You know, Denzel Valentine was barely a top hundred recruit who became an all American. Uh, Draymond Green was not the largest, the biggest recruit in the world um, who became an all American. And, you know, AJ Hogarth was a good recruit, but not a great recruit. Like, you know, what, what we'll see what he becomes 
And, and, and I don't think the staff ever really gets credit for those guys. Now, some of those guys deserve a lot of credit on their own, but I also think that that's a, um, I'm not saying the staff is flawless. I, you know, there are things that frustrate. I've seen so many MSU basketball games at this point. There are moments where I go, can you just leave the same five on the court for two minutes together to figure some things out? Um, and that doesn't happen enough. And I, that would drive me nuts. And, but, uh, they also do a lot of things. I don't think they get a lot of credit for. Yeah, I think that development is an interesting point because you look at two teams last year who no one had on the radar as being very competitive in the Big Ten, Wisconsin and Iowa, who had two players who came out of, I mean, you could see glimmers of it, I guess, the year before with Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis, but you never saw what they became, I think. I don't think anyone really saw what they no, exploded it's, it's into. Den, it's Denzel Valentine-esque. You know, like Valentine had been good. He was better than those guys the year before because he was a junior. But when he showed up in that Kansas game in the Champions Classic, you're like, Oh, wait a sec. They're going to be okay. And, and there will be moments that year. I remember they were ranked number one and they never played better than they did in November and December. And you'd watch them and you go, wow, this team's incredible. And then there'd be a moment, minute, a minute when you, he's off the floor and it'd be the other guys. And you'd go, how is this the number one team in the country? <laughs> because it just was so, you know, I mean, he really was not only the best player, but the glue. And um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, you know, there are guys, and Draymond Green had that. I mean, that year Draymond Green was a senior, they did not expect to be that great. And and they had a player they knew how to to, to build around. And to the point about the Big, Big Ten then, I, this year seems more wide open than, than any year that I can recall recently. How do you handicap Michigan State and, and the rest of the Big Ten? I mean, I think people generally say, well, Indiana, because they have uh, Trace Jackson Davis coming back and they've got some veterans, but... And they looked really good at the Big Ten tournament, uh, even though they got pummeled that kind of ridiculous game in the NCAA tournament where they had to fly across country and no days rest or something. But outside of Indiana, I mean, where do you see the rest of the rest of the league? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I, I think it is. It'll be a fun league. I think it's fun sometimes when you don't know. You know, it's it, and it's the league sort of the league needs this year. Probably another column I should write at some point. <laughs> a lot. This is what I love about doing podcasts, by the way, is. A lot of times, you know, I think, oh, write that down. <laughs> but what the league could use this year, in a sense, that the last couple of years, they've been sort of built up as this power league. They've done well in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They've had a lot of notable college players. And they haven't done that well in the NCAA tournament. And and so, I, you know, sometimes it's good to step off the radar and then build some teams and surprise some people and have a couple of runs that come out of, and I think this is a year where that could happen a little bit. I think Indiana could be good. We haven't seen them as a program really have those characteristics, but the talent's there. Illinois, I think, has a chance to be pretty good again. Um, but I think Michigan State will be right there. Um, I, I do. And and I don't – you know, Michigan, I think, has a chance too. Now, they lost uh, – and losing both uh, Diabate and Houston is a is a – big blow but when you have a guy like hunter dickinson to build around and dickinson is not just you know and dickinson's a savvy big man who i think you can play through a little bit more than they do you know we talked about these one-star teams at michigan state's had I, if michigan has enough shooting around him I, I think they can be a really really good team and so i think there will be um there will be, I, you know i love penn state's coach michael shrewsbury and i'm curious to see how quickly and what he's able to do there. Um, you know, the Iowa, I think, will be – the one thing Fran has done there, and there, there are definitely Fran frustrations, I get it, but is there is a floor to who they are. And, and he, you know, he, I, I, think he, I, mean, I think he's a pretty, pretty good coach overall. And they got Keegan Murray's brother back, and that, that was a good, um, a good deal. So, yeah, it's a good question where else the, the – you know, somebody will surprise Purdue's not going to fall off that much. I don't think um, they never do, but it will be a year where the Big Ten is maybe a little less on the top of the national rankings early, and the league could kind of use that right now. They kind of need to not be built up to fail, um, and they're better off surprising some people. That's a better storyline, better position for this league this year. It's always better being the underdog and in, in succeeding versus being the yeah. favorite and then failing. Right? I mean. I'll, any part of life, you'd rather be the person no one expects to perform well, right? You never want to have those expectations and not live up to them. You don't want to. You don't want to win the meeting. You know, under you know, under you know, undersell, overperform, right? That's exactly. the whole. 
So let's talk about a little bit more about Michigan State's team coming in because you, uh, we've talked about the five spot, but I think other than that, the team looks really pretty good. And I think we have a lot of players who, with as far as you're talking earlier about development, you have Pierre Brooks who didn't see the court. He's had a whole off season now with manage his body and get ready. And I think we'll see an expanded role for Akins and then maybe Malik Hall playing the three more with Hauser. I, I really like the team minus the course of the, the question mark at the five, which, you know, hopefully they can sort of overcome that. What do you, what do you think about the roster makeup? Yeah. I mean, some of it does depend on what they have there and how often they get stuck playing Joey Hauser there. And if they do get stuck playing him at winning time, how they take advantage of that, you know, Joey Hauser at his best is a problem for other teams offensively at the five. The, the problem is we just too often he has not been a confident shooter, a confident player. The Joey Hauser who showed up late in the year is a more regularly seen. That's a problem because, you know, him at the five forces you to guard him outside. It creates lanes for other people. I, I think uh, Jackson Kohler is a guy who can, can shoot. Uh, we'll be able, you'll be able to play through him eventually. Like I, I, I am uh, just as somebody who likes that sort of, sort of basketball and sort of just giddy about watching somebody like that for a few years. I also am a big fan of guys who I don't think are one and done NBA types. So you get to watch them for two, three years, sort of develop into that stuff. Cause I, I just, from you know, I don't care if you can play a lick of defense and they get, you know, they give up 150 points. If they put them on the court for 40 minutes and I could watch that style of play, I'd be, I'd be thrilled. The fans may not love it and they might get frustrated with it, but, <laughs> and, and, and I think that, there's a chance um, that Sissoko is a counter to him a little bit in a different style of player that you you sort of um, – I always joke when I was a senior in high school, I got replaced – I lost my starting position in soccer to a freshman. I was always getting pummeled, and they always put me on the field for like five minutes just to pick up a yellow card and send a message, and then I get sent <laughs> off. But the uh, – I. Like the rest of the team, though, I, I, I love the flexibility they have at, at guard. And Tyson Walker is an incredibly important part of that. I think we've seen like an incredibly important player because, first of all, you, you know you have a, a good point guard. Maybe not a great point guard, but you know you have a capable point guard and get people shots, can run the position, can defend the position. And if that's 12 minutes a game at that position, doing that role, that's fine. I think also off the ball next to Hogarth, if that's another 10 doing that, that's that's really what you'd love to see from him. And he's a guy that Michigan State knows they have a guy who create his own shot and isn't afraid to, to create and make the shot late, the big shot. And that's a, a big thing to have going in. If somebody else develops into your star and becomes the guy, that's fine. But you know, at bare minimum, you've got that. And, and Hogarth may be the guy who creates all that and gets into the lane more and creates problems. And, and then Aikens is, is somebody they're counting on to take a massive step, and they haven't been shy about it, and they think he can. And so we'll see if, if he's ready to do that this year. Um, you know, is, is, if he is, that solves a lot. Um, and Brooks, you know, can he be in the Aikens role of a year ago in 17 minutes a game and hit, you know, he was, I mean, they need him to be okay defensively, but, you know, he's a long-range shooter. He's a guy who should be able to provide long-range shooting, a big-bodied guy, and get to the hole, too, and finish at the rim. And then you need Malik Hall and Joey Hauser. Part of the reason those two need to play together and they need to honor that and do that is the, I thought the worst thing they did last year was platoon those two. Whereas one kind of knew if the other was in, largely they weren't. And they'd play a little bit the four and five, but it, it took Malik Hall out of too many games early. And he wasn't – now, you'd like to think somebody's mentally tough enough to just, when I'm in, I'm in. But he's a guy who's got – he's not a he's not a, a natural takeover guy. He could have it for these few-minute bursts when the game kind of came to him, but it would take him a minute to sort of get into it. If he's only playing eight minutes in the first half because he didn't start, um, that doesn't work. And so I, I do think they need to I, – I, I would predict that those two will start together, both halves, at the three and the four. That sort of creates that four-minute stretch in both halves where you are honoring what those two wanted. That's eight minutes a game right away, playing together at the three and the four. And then how good that is now effectively and at what point 
you know, maybe there's another stretch in each half where they're like that. Maybe it becomes the thing. Maybe they're both playing, you know, 16 minutes a game together. Who knows? But um, I, you know, I think that's a really important thing just to make sure those guys are both, you know, mid twenties play minutes guys that get into the rhythm of the game. Cause I think both players are better when they're playing more. Sure. And I, you know, when you, you mentioned Malik Hall, the, the three, it immediately makes you think, well, who's, I mean, who are the guards? And then you're starting Hogard and Aikens. Cause you can't not have Aikens on the court because for yeah. shooting and for his athleticism, his rebounding. Yeah. And then, you know, do you have Walker come off the bench? It, I mean, these are good problems to have, I suppose, when you have so many players who are capable in the in the backcourt. But it certainly makes you know minute minute distribution is a little bit tricky. And then, do you want to have Walker and Hogard out at the same time with Aikens at the three? Right, and that's the thing. I think you will that that could wind up. I mean, you go with whatever your best lineup is late, and that'll be telling. I mean, you could wind up with the best lineup that becomes very clearly Hogard, Walker, Aikens at the one, two, three, Hall, Hauser finishing games against certain lineups now. Um, does that work when Hunter Dickinson's in there? I don't know. You know, and it may be, oh, when you're playing, you know, whoever it is at Kentucky, they open with this year, whatever it is when they, they have in that, you know, but you're, you're going to, um, there may be matchup, may need to be matchup dependent. But again, some of that is what, who is Joey Hauser this year? Right. Because you can say, well, Joey Hauser can't guard that guy, but the best version of Joey Hauser is not going to be easily guarded by a big man that he can't guard. There's very few guys in college basketball. You know, Hunter Dickinson does not want to spend time guarding out on the perimeter. Nor can he. No. <laughs> right. And so, you know, that is a um, – and so you, you you can sort of pick your poison a little there. And and, and then maybe Kohler is, is is ready to do, to do, to do more. And maybe Sissoko takes that stride where defensively the, – the, the thing with Kohler that will be – or not with Kohler, with uh, – I, they will start the season, I believe, with Matty Sissoko as the starting center. I think game one. Game eight, I predict. <laughs> Sometime in Portland, whenever that is, uh, over Thanksgiving, they are going to move Sissoko out of the starting lineup because he's going to pick up fouls too quick and he's in foul trouble and affects the game. And if you don't play him the first four minutes, he's not in foul trouble after four minutes. And that's going to be the, 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 the rationale and the thinking there. And so I believe they'll start with Kohler. Um, now, Kohler, Hauser, you know, and, and those two may love playing together. They may be too similar. Like, you know, I, I think there will be um, – it, it may be great for shooters to have him, um, you know, whipping the ball around and stuff. And, but, yeah, I, I, so eventually you may, you may wind up I, – I think I would predict by game eight, Jackson Kohler's starting center just – as long as he's ready enough and I just, I know they say, you know, I'm Matty Sissoko's he's got a reputation now already. He's going to get called for fouls for dumb fouls early. And for anything else, you want the officials to settle into the game as well. And I, I think um, you don't want him out there. Yeah. Well, that I, we'll see what happens. I, I think maybe to your point earlier, or maybe another time I was listening to you talk about it, that Playing Hauser at the five really is a is one that you you have to if you're going to do that you want to have it not as a reaction to something like, hey we've got Hunter Dickinson on the floor, we're say we're up three or up two you know all he can do is hurt us with twos so let's just go let's go at him force him to, to play the pick and roll we know he can't move we he can't move laterally we can, and if he we either blow past him and get a foul in the bucket or you know hit threes because he can't come out and guard us in time so that you have to like exploit those mismatches right I think that's probably what you hope to to see that. When you see Hauser, you hopefully it's because of those reasons. Yes, you know, because I think Hauser is who he's going to be defensively, and he's he's more. I mean, he's not a graceful defensive athlete, and he doesn't have the longest arm. So he, you know, people get frustrated by it, it's the Kenny Goyan syndrome, even though he's bigger. It's how you look, but he's not as ineffective sometimes statistically as it appears, yeah. and that's an important thing. Um, and so I think that's. Uh, That'll be very interesting to see. And, and, and for him, it'll all be all about, can he maintain his confidence all year? I, I sat down with him in uh, April, and I, I've never seen him like that. He was just so – such a good place, so full of energy and hopefulness and just looked like a guy who 
been through some stuff and it really was happy with this decision and was excited about the year. And, um, you know, as he should be, he's like a 22 year old man who's playing starting on a division one, big 10 basketball team. I mean, life should be pretty good. And, but I think for a lot of those guys, I mean, that, that we talked about that 2020 year, I think Hauser was somebody it really messed with the isolation, the sitting in alone and, and your, your dorm. I mean, he, uh, he roomed with foster lawyer, but just basically just the two of you, you couldn't, I mean, it's not somebody who did well with that. And the thing that was, you know, all of us were, you know, isolated that year to some degree, but the pressure to not get a positive COVID test on those guys and what it would do to the whole season, I, I think was something that really weighed on them. And then every day to go in and test and wait for the result. And, and um, so anyway, I, I, I'm very curious to see Joey Hauser. Um, I've sort of thought he would have a, a good year last year, better year than he did. Um, I'm very curious to see if Malik Hall can find consistency. And it's one of those teams where you can argue that a lot of different guys have the chance to really take pretty big steps and be really good. And if most of those things happen, not even all of them, I think they'll be a very good team. If all of them happen, they can be great. Um, but if, if not enough of them happen, then you got a problem. And so you're just kind of waiting to see what, what does actually occur. And that's an every season problem, right? That's yeah. uh, you rarely have the same roster, the same kinds of people coming back every year. You're always going to have graduations or you know, something. Uh, finally, I guess the, the last thing that was the, the big country, I think everyone understood why marble left and, and to pursue and finish his engineering degree and engineering school in Texas, which is not surprising uh, closer to his family because of all the issues that are going on there. But with Max Christie, it was it was a very weird sort of end to his career at Michigan State. Obviously, the struggles on the court. No, I mean, good defender, rebounding, eh, okay for as athletic as he was. He you know maybe wasn't strong enough to get as many rebounds as you'd expect from the wing. Shooting was not very good. Occasionally looked good. His shot looked good. <laughs> it just wouldn't go down a lot of the time. But then he didn't have to do an extra interview with Izzo. I mean what sort of insights do you have and sort of how that all just kind of fell apart at the end? Because it still seems very strange to me. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I think he did meet with the coaches to some degree on his way out, but he was gone pretty much after that very quickly. Um, and, you know, he was working out elsewhere, you know, I think finishing up classes online um, as you're able to do a lot, a lot easier now. So a lot of these guys don't need to be there. So the more I, I mean, I think he was always somebody who viewed himself as a one and done as a pro. And I don't think I quite understood that coming in. Um, and I think his camp always thought, I mean, he's a guy who was the number one shooting guard in the country. You know, that's sort of what you think. And, and you come in and you have some real productive games early. The Butler game obviously stands out where you go, oh, that guy is a, a difference maker offensively. And he had one stretch in the middle of the Big Ten season, four or five games in a row where he was really good. But otherwise, he struggled with the shot. And, um, you know, I don't think he had, though, the experience that, that he wanted for whatever reason. And, uh, I mean, he played a ton of minutes. He had a lot on his plate. Maybe he thought he had too much. I think that was a narrative that sort of kind of came out of that camp. But I'm not sure that was entirely fair. He wouldn't want less. But there was a lot on him. And part of that was because Gabe Brown could not be – the player that they had hoped he would be, you know, if, if, if Gabe Brown was a little bit better player, a little bit more consistent offensively and, and, or if you had somebody else defensively, who was a little more ready to take on the best guys, you know, in an ideal world, um, you know, I know they weren't all that disappointed that Aaron Henry left because I think Aaron Henry had gotten to the point where he wasn't always a, a plus in the locker room, but Last year's team would have been better in some ways with Aaron Henry over Gabe Brown from a basketball perspective with Max Christie. A little more different style players, a little more physically player, you know, uh, mature player, more uh, well-rounded, better defender, and a guy who would have been able to guard and, and dealt with the, the strain of that that a lot fell on Max Christie and I think did affect his offensive game. But it affected his offensive game because he's not strong enough to do everything that was asked of him. And when you're not strong enough to do everything you're asked of you, the, the common sense would be to get stronger, come back and be able to do that before you venture off into a league where it's a grown man's league, right? And so I, 
I, I think, I mean, he's going to get drafted. I think he'll get drafted in a place where there's guaranteed money. Um, whether it be the first round or the first four, whatever the first 40 some picks, you know, I, I, he'll get money. He'll get paid. The finances of it aren't going to be an issue. The question will be whether he actually develops into an NBA guy. And I think he's a disciplined enough kid, a mature enough kid that he will put in the effort, put in the work. Um, and so if, and, and the talent should be there. He's got to work on the shot a little bit. Um, there's some things that aren't quick release with that, but you know, I wouldn't bet against him. I think he's not a bad second round pick because, you know, high ceiling guy. Um, but to me, for his own sake, I think he would have been, he, he might've played himself into the lottery next year. Now, the flip side of that is if, 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 if you're not that good next year, if you come back and it doesn't happen again, you lose all that draft value. So from that standpoint, if you, if you, if you bet on yourself and it goes wrong, you, you've really lost your, your, but um, I don't sense that's who Max Christie is either. He's betting on himself right now as it is. So uh, I, if I were him, I would have advised, I would have come back. I, would, I had his ear. I would have told him to come back or go somewhere, play another year of college basketball. Um, but uh, I, I don't think he saw himself in, in that as a college player. anymore. Yeah. Your previous expectations and anticipation, you know, dictates oftentimes what your decisions are later, right? Because if you're, if you're yeah, you expect to be done. Well, Graham Couch from Line State Journal, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Final Fours on the, the uh, schedule. Uh, if you want to follow Graham's work, you can go to at Graham underscore Couch on Twitter, I believe. And then absolutely must listens are his two podcasts, Spartan Speak uh, with Chris Solari and Phil Friend. And then, of course, Couch in the Brube. And make sure you subscribe to those shows, as well as our show, of course, the Final Fours on the schedule. And again, if you have any ideas for shows or people you want us to talk to, hit us up on email at tffinots at gmail.com. Also, please leave a five-star written review for our show on the podcast player. Graham, thanks again so much. Thanks for having me. Anytime.
At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.